0: This is the Cannacurio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases.
1: Welcome to the Cannacurio Podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by Xavier Gillette of HAL Extraction. As always, before we jump in with Xavier, let's check in with Ed and see what news he's learned this week from the Data Vault.
2: Ed? Thanks, Amanda. So, we just finished up our latest Canacurio blog and we focused on two areas of licensing that we've not really delved into much. One was testing and the other was distribution licenses. So on the testing side, only 29 new testing licenses have been issued this year in six states, Um, 41% were in Oklahoma, sort of continuing their push to generate lots and lots of licenses. And, you know, what we've seen with testing is states seem to have adopted a variety of schemes to approve cannabis testing and licenses.
1: So with these new licenses and, you know, with the states adopting, you know, the these new cannabis testing uh, groups, is there is it consistent across every single state, Ed?
2: Not at all. Uh, Just like with so many things in the cannabis space, every state seems to be their own sovereign nation and they all handle it differently. So here in Connecticut, what. folks need is a controlled substances license. It's, you know, issued by the same group that issues the cannabis licenses, but it's a different subgroup. In New Jersey, I think the testing is still done by the state itself. Um, so you've got that happening. In still other states, a testing license just needs to have the right certifications from an outside governing body. So it really is all over the map, literally, how the states tend to uh, create and approve these licenses Um, sounds like cannabis yeah exactly and then uh, we did a quick look across the testing labs that we had and we found that steep hill has the most licenses with eight so you know as i said before it doesn't mean that they only have eight but there are eight that have been issued by some cannabis licensing authority so and they were way ahead of everybody else and then in terms of distribution licenses we we touched on this earlier in the year in Kanakiro, and Nationally, there are about, um, you know, I think it's maybe 1,800 licenses, but most of them are in California where they have about 1,200. And my view on this is it probably has to do with the fact that it's a big state and you need to have a distribution license in order to, to move product around. But one footnote, and we talked about this last week, is for all those California micro business licenses, 97% of them chose distribution as one of their um three to six possible activities. So it's obviously a really important part of the cannabis value chain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm curious to see if other states uh, adopt uh, the distribution license uh, moving forward. Uh, But as always, thank you for the update, Ed. As I mentioned, today we'll be joined by Xavier Gillette of HAL Extraction. Xavier is one of Cannabis Media's power users and we are so excited to have him on the show. Stay tuned.
0: Howl Extraction is the leading manufacturer of C1D1 and CID2 booths pre-engineered to meet the needs of cannabis plant oil extraction operations. Their peer-reviewed and UL certified enclosures are designed with regulating authorities in mind and their booths have been key in speedy approval processes for over 250 facilities in the United States. Contact them today for help working through your operational planning, application approvals and facility design. Contact them today for working through your operational planning, application approvals, and facility design.
1: Welcome back everybody. Today we're joined by Xavier Gillette of HAL Extractions. Xavier is one of the outside sales managers here. Xavier, how are you today? Welcome to the show.
3: I'm doing well, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: We're so excited to have you on. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you're one of our, our power users and uh, to my understanding, a, a long time uh, subscriber here. So uh, let's give our audience a, a little bit of background information. How long have you been in the industry?
3: Yeah, so always been a fan of cannabis. Um, I've been in the industry since about 2013. Uh, I actually got a summer job as a bud tender when I was um, studying for my undergraduate degree at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Um, did graduate with a philosophy degree, so didn't know what really to do with that, and fell in love with the industry um, as a bud tender, and so just kind of kept trucking along in the space. Um, I've held a variety of roles and have done pretty much everything except for cultivation. I unfortunately have a black thumb and a lack of patience, and watching plants grow is not necessarily my forte. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know it's unfortunate. Uh, people always think I'm I'm growing, of course, because you know cannabis and growing, but Uh, I've worked a lot of retail jobs, Um, so like I said, bud tending managing retail operations, um, and then moved into um, the extraction side of things in uh, 2015. Um, Also, a variety of roles there, pretty much everything in the operation until eventually moving up into um, operational leadership roles. Um, And then after that, um, in 2017, I had the pleasure of joining um, a small company called Work, um, they sell HR, payroll, regulatory solutions um, for the employee management side of things specific to cannabis, and so was able to cut my teeth on the sales side of thing there um, before joining the team here at HAL Extractions.
1: Wonderful. And as a, a recent college grad, you know, with a philosophy degree, Xavier, you know, w- did you always intend to get into the cannabis space, or, or kind of how did you you come to that conclusion?
3: Um, you know, I've always had a passion for the plant. Um, when I was younger, I think I unknowingly was self-medicating. Um, I most likely, while undiagnosed, have ADHD and you know some anxiety issues that the plant helps with, um, and so fell in love with the, the medicinal aspect as a kid and then, or not as a kid, but as a young adult, let's say. Um, and then eventually started to work with medical patients on the medical side of things before um, the recreational market was adopted here in Colorado um, and really gained a passion for, for helping folks um, find treatments for their ailments that necess- weren't necessarily um, Western medicine or kind of traditional, let's say, approaches to, to helping folks with those problems.
1: And so how did you find your way to the Hal Extractions team, Xavier?
3: So um, I had actually taken a year off um, after um, leaving work and was working in a uh, safety technology firm that worked a lot with high risk industries like oil and gas, mining, construction, um, and decided that that wasn't quite the thing for me. I really had missed the cannabis industry. Um, and so started looking around for work and saw a posting by Hal Extraction for some help on their outside sales team. Um, and I thought that my past experience actually working in extraction operations, um, along with my my experience dealing with regulatory um, agencies um, and jurisdictions from work and then the last year in the actual safety industry, let's say, um, I thought those all kind of blended well and lended themselves well to... Um, being successful with an extraction company, but that's also really focused on the safety side of things and making sure that extraction processes are done safely and that you know employees are able to make it home at the end of the day um, with no issues.
2: Yeah, this is uh, a real good marriage of taking all that regulated industry experience, whether it be on the HR side, the safety side, and and bringing it into this you know other part of the industry that you already knew from. Previous work experience—that's pretty cool. So, as I've been trying to learn about your company, it seems that Hal Extraction does a great job of really trying to comply with a lot of the codes, whether it be NFPA, NEC, ICC, and fire codes. You know, all the kind of stuff that you know people need to to focus on. You know, how has that worked for Hal Extractions? in the marketplace, you know, what, what does that mean? The fact that you guys, you know, are working with, let's say underwriters, laboratories, et cetera, a, as you go out as the outside sales manager and, and talk to potential customers.
3: So a lot of the time, um, because we are so dedicated to the regulatory side of things and safety, um, we we're brought on in a little bit of a consulting role um, for a lot of our clients, um, because typically the people that we are working with are early on in facility design or build um, phases for their applications, they have to work with their local jurisdictions, fire marshals, um, and we're able to come in and really show them um, that extraction doesn't have to be this um, dangerous process, um, that with the right equipment and the right you know, operating procedures in place, um, a lot of the time we're able to help them convince their local jurisdictions that they should be allowed to establish their operations you know, in that particular area. Um, And that philosophy really comes from our CEO and founder, um, Lynn Havlick, back in 2016, he was uh, on the verge of retiring. He was a certified industrial hygienist um, who had actually been working in a lot of the the industries that I mentioned as far as, you know, mining, oil and gas, construction. Um, And he saw that there was, you know, back in the early days of Colorado extraction facilities, there was a slew of explosions and incidents that happened Um, and some shocking videos that you can find online (laughs) of um, operations and explosions happening. And he he thought, hey, there's gotta be a better approach to this, this seems like a new industry where people don't really know what they're doing when it comes to safety. And that's why he founded our company to really come in and take that that educated and experienced um, background of his and be able to apply it to a new industry and help folks um, operate safely.
2: Oh, very cool. Now, one question I had, and and this is, you know, once again, going back to Connecticut, when they issued their four initial grow licenses, we learned through our research that one of the companies that won a license had a lot of plant extraction expertise because they manufactured witch hazel, which was used in like perfumes and other things like that. So I was curious does HAL extractions work with other plant oils? You know, is it just cannabis or, or, or is there a whole suite of things that people choose to uh use your products for?
3: So a whole suite of things. Um I think the natural um addition to the cannabis or you know THC side of things is gonna be the C B D and hemp movement that we're seeing now. Um but anytime there's a volatile chemical involved um in the extraction process, you're gonna have to have some sort of electrically controlled space. And so whether or not that's a class one division one or a class one division two space, um, if those solvents are present in the area, you're going to have to have proper ventilation, um, you know, well-controlled lights, outlets, all that, all the components in the booth um, that'll actually prevent sparks or explosions from happening, um, you know, basically removing ignition sources for those solvents. So a lot of other plant oil um, industries do use ethanol, for example, which um, is a flammable liquid. You need to have a class one division two space for that. Um, and actually, it's funny, one of the, uh, the original extraction operations that I saw myself was the uh, Celestial Seasonings um, factory up in Boulder. They, they use yeah. a big CO2 machine to extract um, caffeine from all other teas to make them caffeine free.
2: Oh, very cool. Very cool. And I, just hearing you talk, I can tell, you know, having had all that safety background heading into. Um, how extraction must have been a a big help because you can sort of speak with a practitioner's perspective. Now, uh, one of the things you said is, extraction does not have to be dangerous. However, I think a lot of us saw the story that came out of Los Angeles last week where a business called Smoke Tokes, um, that distributes butane hash oil, caused a big explosion. And I'm curious from you, with your safety background and you know, with the company you represent now, what does that do for the industry when something like that happens? A lot of people were injured and, and what is the impact plus or minus on Hal extraction?
3: Yeah, so um I did read up on that this weekend as well. Um it's certainly an unfortunate event to see firefighters put their lives at risk um to deal with a situation like this. I think you know the first reaction from us at least was oh my goodness i hope this is one of our clients <laughs> and um luckily they're not smoke toast after a little more research it seems like they um distribute it seems to be kind of like a smoke shop distributor um so they did have butane canisters in their facility um luckily not butane canisters they're typically used for extraction processes um more butane that you can take to fill a torch for example um and you know it would be used for a consumer but not necessarily using the uh the extraction process itself um, that being said la was already notoriously a hard um, jurisdiction to have any sort of extraction processes take place so i think yeah. any sort of negative news like this uh, puts a damper on that um, and then for us at hal extraction beyond you know making sure that was one of our clients um, it, it does provide us you know a little bit of fuel to say hey guys you know there needs to be more consideration even when it comes to storage of consumer-based products and not necessarily, you know, a production facility. Um, there needs to be a little bit more uh, safety approaches taken um, to ensure that these, these you know, dangerous chemicals are not potentially going to be exploding canisters when you have firefighters addressing a fire um, in your warehouse. Um, so really just making sure that Everyone understands that this is these are you know dangerous chemicals and that without the proper operating procedures and safety processes in place, um, you know bad things can happen.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks for the the background on that. Um, looking forward a bit, we're we're always curious to hear about any new product launches you're doing or markets you're heading into or or new initiatives that you're able to share.
3: Yeah. So. Um, as we're all dealing with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's forced a lot of us to, to take a new approach to the way that we do business. Um, and so I think that's something that we've been focusing on as far as um, emphasizing our digital channels and um, going for experiences like this. Um, so I really appreciate you guys having me on um, to get our name out there. Um, I think one thing that's interesting with our products is, you know, they're seen by some as kind of just big metal boxes um, they're not necessarily the sexiest thing um, out there when it comes to cannabis, where there's a lot of time, you know, flashy new products. Um, and so our marketing team has been doing a great job of of really kind of spicing up um, our marketing materials and making these booths and how extraction on a whole, uh, maybe a little bit of a cooler <laughs> player in the cannabis space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing, you know, um, as far as markets go, because we are an ancillary businesses or ancillary business, sorry, that's not limited by licensing or any banking regulations. Um, any, any new market is exciting for us. Um, so I know Missouri and Oklahoma, for example, have been um, yep. quite active for us lately. Um, personally, I'm starting to see a little bit of traction in Eastern Europe, which is exciting. And so we're working on finding manufacturing pro- uh, partners in Europe for our products. Um, and then we are working on some, some kind of extraction adjacent products um, with some of our key clients. Um, things like potential curing booths, technologies, um, off gassing chambers, um, just additional things that we can do to help make um, the extraction and, you know, cannabis even curing process safer and more efficient. Um, cool. Yeah, it sort of sounds clients. like
2: owning or helping your customers own and control more of that value chain, you know, not quite seed to sale, but sort of the, the part that you guys are are, are active in. Um. As you talk about uh, markets and whatnot, I was curious, do you see a difference as you're going into states, let's say, that have both med and rec or med only? I mean, obviously, there's a size of market, which is, you know, goes without saying. But, you know, is it a different approach for you when you're just hitting a, a market that may be, let's say, more restricted in terms of license count and, you know, there's only 10 companies with extraction licenses?
3: Um, I think it definitely does affect the way that we do our outreach. A lot of the time with those companies, um, getting buddy-buddy with consultants has been successful for us um, because they are going to bring in a trusted source that's basically gonna, going to advise a bunch of people that have you know, sufficient capital, um, and maybe business expertise, but no cannabis expertise. Um, they're going to advise them on how to set up their operation. And so working closely with those consultants um, to get in the door early yep. has been successful for us. And, and, how,
2: and how and how early, like, I know that it, with cannabis media, sometimes we're able to get applications from a state where they're trying to be very transparent. So really early on, they're like, hey, these people have applied for license. And, you know, I know that can be helpful because as you said, you're able to get in there really before they design the space or get the license. Because at that point, I, I assume it's probably too late.
3: Yeah, you got it exactly. And that's one of the main things. I love about cannabis actually is the new and updated licenses and kind of the applicant phase um, that you guys are tracking Um, a lot of states actually do require applicants to submit um, building plans and floor plans um, as part of the application process Um, so you're absolutely correct that we're trying to get in there a lot of time before these companies have even been approved um, to commence operations or break ground on their facility
2: Right. Yeah. We, we don't focus on local applications, but sometimes we do get them in the course of our research and there can be a lot of detail in there for like a conditional use permit. Somebody wants to put in a facility like this and, you know, the 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 town board of zoning is going to take a look at that very carefully. So uh, so there can definitely be some good details, uh, some some good details um, in there. So uh, one of the last questions we always like to ask is, you know, what's been the biggest Uh, achievement, either uh, corporate or personal, in the last 12 months?
3: Um, You know, I think personally for me, um, as I mentioned, I took a little hiatus from the cannabis industry, so I'll just say um, my personal achievement would be coming back into the industry um, and, you know, feeling like I've been (laughs) greeted with welcome arms and talking to old friends. and um, Welcome back. (laughs) Appreciate that, yeah, being able to continue um, building my network here in the industry. Um, And then from a corporate perspective, we did just uh, release our 3.0 booths, um, and a big change on those is going to be our actual, we have a human-machine interface now on our control panel, um, so you can actually get in there and communicate with the components in your booth, um, set variable airflows, flows, um, kind of talk to the sensors, if you will, um, and it allows for a lot more customization from our client side as far as the work environment for their employees um, and how the the booth, as a complete unit you know with multiple components responds to various situations um so that's been i think very exciting to see that get adopted by a lot of our clients um and hopefully we'll be able to continue the trend of of ease of use when it comes to our to our products
2: great
1: well again echoing what ed said here xavier welcome back to the industry we're we're so happy to have you and uh you know Hopefully, we'll see you at a trade show sometime soon. But I wanted to switch gears here and, uh, you know, kind of check in and see. You know, as a, a long-standing subscriber with the cannabis media team here, um, what are some of the ways that you and your your various teams have utilized our platform? Yeah.
3: So I mentioned, um, you know, especially in light of COVID nineteen, um, we've been taking a concerted effort to improve our our digital channel outreach, and so being more active on social media um, through email campaigns. And Cannabis, as a CRM, you know, has the ability for us to, to communicate as a team, but also has a lot of that contact information readily available on the platform. So it's been immensely helpful to be able to you know, at least plan these campaigns and, and get our foot in the door with a lot of folks through Cannabis um, as far as providing email contact, you know, even social media pages. Um, and other ways for us to engage with our prospects um, and our clients. And so that's been really big for us. Um, and we've also been using the uh, the email campaign tools to promote a webinar series that we're doing, um, just sharing some knowledge with the community as far as um, what we've experienced over the years. We know we've got a, a pretty extensive team of engineers, but also um, extraction consultant types um, that we're able to, to give that information back to the community. So. Being able to use cannabis to, to promote that outreach—it's um, been a huge help for us.
1: I love it. It sounds like you, you've had, uh, you know, some great successes, uh, you know, just in terms of the communication. Uh, I know when I used the the platform outside or when I uh, worked for the, the staffing group, uh, you know, previously, it was such a helpful tool um, to continue, you know, kind of getting a pulse on the various markets and to, you know, stay connected uh, without having to travel for trade shows. So I can definitely empathize with you there. Um, now, in, in comparison to other, you know, sales tools, how does the the cannabis media uh platform stack up?
3: Um so I would say again because it's it has the data um in it, it's really unlike any other, you know, CRM or sales tool that I've used before. Um I think one other thing that you kind of touched on as far as tracking um new application licenses goes, um I think for me at least one of the most valuable things about cannabis is just the daily um updated license emails that I get. So I can you know, de facto follow a license and get any news updates or changes in licensing um, relative to that company and the associated licenses or, you know, updated contact information for for key stakeholders in that company. Um, So I think almost sitting down on my computer every day um, and having a list of of people to reach out to um, that have had recent events that might make sense for me to reach out to them for. Um, I'm a big fan of always providing value in my touches. I don't like Checking in on people just for the sake of checking in, um, and so giving a little context to my outreach um, really helps with the initial relationship building when it comes to to communicating with those stakeholders.
2: Uh, makes a lot of sense. Now, sort of speaking of you know making value added touch and you know having information, we rely on a lot of data in what we do. And one of the trends that we've heard for some time now, you know, coming through folks like Headset and uh, uh, BDS Analytics or BDSA, is there seems to be a nationwide or maybe even global decline in consumption of flour. Um, And, you know, people are really going more toward extracted products, whether it be edibles or other things. And, you know, it's sort of an obvious question, but what's the impact on your business? Because, you know, that seems like would be a really favorable trend uh, if you're helping people extract the the value out of plants.
3: Yeah, absolutely. a, A positive trend for us. Um, and as almost a subset of that trend, we're starting to see a little bit more um, consumer preference towards um, extraction products that are actually made through hydrocarbon solvent extraction processes. Um, so a lot of folks are starting to, to be educated on um, the quality of different extracts. I think as you know dabbing or um, smoking hash oil directly um, becomes less stigmatized, um, folks are more willing to try that out. And they're starting to realize that um, sometimes the the ethanol based extractions or the CO two based extractions are not going to be the best um the best ones to directly vaporize. Um, so while those might be a little bit more um let's say efficient for the edible creation process, if you are someone that wants to smoke some live resin, for example, um, that's a product that can't be made with those those solvents. And so as consumers are asking for more of those products, um, the producers and the manufacturers are, of course, moving towards adopting hydrocarbon extraction processes in their facilities. Um, those, of course, contain um, or use at least uh, very volatile solvents like propane um, and butane, and those are, you know, require Class 1 Division 1 spaces. And so, for us, from a from a sales and company development perspective, it's certainly a positive trend. Um, and I think we're also starting to see some. Some legislative groups and regulatory groups move to allow a little bit more of those processes. Um, Some states, like Florida, comes to mind. um, They're still CO2 only. Um, You know, CO2 is inherently probably the safest solvent to use because it's just carbon dioxide. Um, But that being said, again, it limits the amount of products and the type of products that a lot of these manufacturers can create. And so, there's still some illicit black markets in these states as consumers are going to, to other states or you know. Illicit sources to actually source these materials. And so we're seeing a trend of states um, along with the manufacturers or at least regulatory bodies um, start to promote and enable us to to have our clients actually use these solvents and then of course need our booth to do so.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was going to say that uh, what you described is almost a regulatory market segmentation based on what the state or jurisdictions will allow like there may be some places where you know your solution or solutions of others in the industry just aren't going to be all that useful if they're so restrictive. So thanks for sharing that. It's a really that's a really interesting insight.
1: Well, Xavier, you have quite a bit of historical and anecdotal knowledge and we're so grateful to you for sharing that with us on today's podcast. Thank you so so much for for joining us and you know we look forward to hopefully seeing you after after quarantine at the next trade show.
3: Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you guys. And uh, while we do wait for trade shows to get back online, I think this is a a good resource and way to connect with the community and, um, you know, share some of our knowledge and, and get the conversation going.
1: I love it. You heard it here first, folks. Cannabis Media is the tool and the resource. Uh, Ed, what a great interview. Uh, But I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, looking ahead, what data and license updates do we have to look forward to from the data vault?
2: So the big story for us is uh, Texas hemp. They just kicked off their program back in March, issued a lot of licenses. Uh, We just got the first look at the data last night. So there's uh, about 623 hemp producers, which are growers. There's 44 that are hemp handler samplers, which I have to figure out what exactly a sampler is. And then there are 97 that have a, a hemp handler designation. So we're gonna be digging into that, finding out what's there, seeing sort of what the story is, but that'll likely be this week's upcoming Canna blog post, as we dig in there and really try and understand how that state is regulating hemp and what it means for the industry.
1: I'm looking forward uh, to this week's Canna because hemp has been something, you know, we've been uh, tracking for a while. You know, you guys also did one on the Connecticut hemp uh, licenses as well. So can't wait to see what you and the team uncover this week. Thank you everyone for joining us on today's podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.